Welcome, Andy. Hi, how are you going? Andy and Andrew talk about money stuff. Yep. We, we haven't come up with a name for this yet, so that might be it. Nice. I also want to do a theme song. I want to, I want to do a, a song intro, like every time the music plays, just make something up for every episode. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Nice. Like, money, get your money house in order. <laughs> something like that. And then, you know, it depends what mood I'm in. Yeah. I feel soulful at the moment, so... Yeah. Yeah, that, was, cool. that was soul for people who don't know music genres. Very, very beautiful soul. <laughs> <laughs> that, that Excuse was me, that was a technical <laughs> error. Um, cool, man. How, how was your week? How was your week in investing? In, in well, well, I haven't um, bought or sold anything this week, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I'd actually, I, I, did, I, bought, um, I bought some stuff related to the um, oil, the, the extractive hydrocarbon resources industry. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, my, my general thing is, uh, uh, look, uh, I listen to some people. Peter Zihan is a geopolitical strategist. I think I've mentioned him before. Yeah. Um, Hugh Hendry, by the way, he's got a um, podcast called The Acid Capitalist or something like that. I'll, I'll see if I can bring it up now. Um, I'll, I'll tell the episodes too because Hugh Hendry is a guy I came across uh, probably around 2010. Mm-hmm. Maybe earlier. Yeah, The Acid Capitalist with Hugh Hendry. So um, the the most recent episodes, um, there was one called Banned in China on the 28th of May and There Will Be Blood on the 21st of May. This is 2022. Yes. Um, excellent, as far as I'm concerned, explanations on the monetary system and stuff. So um, if people are... Are, are this wanting- sort of contributing to the current discussion sort of... Like crypto versus fiat versus not even that, it? just like more like the way banking and central banking and um, liquidity and stuff like that works okay. in markets. So, yep. so nothing, um, nothing alternative in that sense. Yep. Just um, trying to understand the conventional monetary world, which is dictated by banks and 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 that that sort of thing. Nothing, yep. nothing alternative like crypto. Um, anyway, really, really good explanations, at least in my opinion. Um, and, and Hugh Hendry, I'm I'm a uh, I guess I'm a fanboy on Hugh Hendry. I, uh, yeah. I used to have a massive man crush on him in yes. the in the early uh, 2000s. Um, actually, if, if you ever listen to this Hugh Hendry, yeah, I, I wrote what, to what's, your, what's his what's his story? I'll tell you, but let's just have my little thing first. I, I wrote to your firm, Hugh Hendry, and said I'd work for you for free, and I don't think he even responded, <laughs> Hugh Hendry. <laughs> And um, I've outperformed him since he said. <laughs> but but that that's that's not to say it's because I'm smarter or better than him. But um, yep. you know, history might say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what are the metrics there? Since you've thrown it out. Oh, I can't. Remember. I mean, I got smashed this year, so maybe my um, you know, I was thirty percent compound annual growth rate for close to a decade. Um, mm. Hugh Hugh got out of the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the recent performance, um, you know, this, this calendar year, 2022, that's, I don't know, I'm down, I don't know what percent, 20, 30% maybe. Mm. I don't know. There's a thing that on my, um, trading platform, it compares my portfolio to the rest of the stock market Yeah. and I've underperformed the stock market by 20% yeah. at this stage, um, for the, you know, since I think, um, I don't know, since the account was open on this new platform, which would have been, um, like September last year. Yeah. So, so um, the, there's this idea that mean reversion occurs. You know, we're talking about buying managed funds and, and, and how they, on in aggregate, equal the average performance of the market, which yes. is the index. 
And and we're talking about how some funds that perform really well one year end up underperforming the next year because mm-hmm. the theme that made them perform well that that horse is bolted and, and the market's yep. pretty interested in different things. So mm-hmm. the one that's um, performed really well and then underperforms maybe over time it just reverts to the mean. It gets yep. it gets an average performance yep. if it's around for long enough. Um, so there's always um, the concern of me that that I mean revert. And 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 I, I feared at the big at the beginning of the year when I was um you know wanting to be all cash, thought you might mean revert this year, Andrew. Just just stay cash, avoid yeah. avoid the evil mean reversion. But get, getting an average performance is fine, mind you. But yeah. given the amount of um energy and research I, I have put in and the skills I've developed, I, I want better yes. than average because uh, because I, I spend time and energy and I actually take more risk as well. So yeah. uh, in theory. Um, risk is in more volatility risk and, yeah. and I guess more risk by having a concentrated portfolio as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it, there's no point in me doing what I do if I'm not getting above average returns. Yeah. And from what I understand, so you, you've, you're you not working full-time anymore and you're, I don't know if you want to discuss this or... or... Yeah, that's no, fine. Um, so I, oh, wow, um, maybe six years ago, I think in some ways I'm, I'm not very functional for a full-time job anyway, just yes. as, as a personality type. Yep. I, um, I like to get, I like to learn how to do something and then once I know how to do it, I kind of get a bit bored mm-hmm. and, and want to do something else. The only thing that's had staying power actually is this investing stuff. And yep. I think it's because there's so much to learn and so many different ways it's of, quite of dynamic looking too. at the world. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it's the most competitive market, most mm. competitive game in, in the world, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and uh, there's so many lenses you can look at things and, and so many frameworks you can have to try and understand the markets. So I think it's a, you know, potentially a lifelong learning process and, mm. and that's got legs. Plus, I've been lucky to be financially rewarded for it. But yeah, I told my wife a few years ago it's financially irresponsible for me to work full-time yep. because of the opportunities I miss in the share market. And, yep. and that's, uh, history has proven that to be 100% true. Yeah. E- even the underperformance this year, um, I feel like I... I um, wouldn't have had that if I wasn't working as much as I was. Yeah. Do, do you mind dis- discussing that, like what, what that was like in what? terms of uh, uh, like discussing that with your your wife? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, so in maybe 2010 or something, my wife being a normal person and, and wanting to, to nest, I guess, wanted to buy some sort of real estate that was ours. And I actually thought the Australian property market would crash like America and all these other places. So I was very against it and, and said, let's have our money in shares. And uh, she, she, she won. Uh, happy, happy wife, happy life. So um, end up selling a bunch of shares to, to buy um, real estate, just a, a crappy apartment, new development, mm. not, not very good. Um, but it is, you know, we, we bought that. And... Um, I sold these shares. Uh, one, one of the shares, I was really, really keen on this company. It was mm-hmm. called Big Air Limited. Mm-hmm. And they did uh, like backup wireless internet to universities and, and, and uh, other, other stakeholders, maybe banks or something. But the idea is that you know, you've got your plug-in internet and, and that's fine, but you, you need uh, a backup. And they'd have radio towers on the top of tall buildings that would then shoot internet to those buildings and, and have that as a backup thing or maybe even a primary thing in some cases mm. anyway 
the the company it was, it was uh, the CEO was a young guy called Jason Ashton I think his name was he was a University of Sydney student or a New South Wales student and rigged up the business trying to solve internet problems in the dorms I think so as a student I think he, I, I think this is a story anyway I met him uh, um, and and he, he seemed like a, a smart entrepreneur and he, he was very likable he seemed like an honest chap and the share price was about 20 cents for Big Air Limited at the time and he, I heard this story that in their office that they have like secondhand chairs and secondhand tables. Like it's just, I, I don't know. It's like how people when they live in group houses probably they're just like finding stuff left on the street and and put that in the house. And that that was uh that that was their office apparently, and that was really appealing because it means they're not wasting money. Yeah. It's like if these guys are so frugal with uh, their own office when they you know as the CEO and whatnot could. Like a lot of other CEOs buy mahogany desks and, mm. you know, first class plane trips to, you know, a town two miles away kind of thing. Yep. The the fact that these guys were um so money conscious, I thought meant they were going to be good custodians of my wealth as, as a shareholder. Anyway, so to buy this apartment, sold various shares and, and didn't didn't sell down evenly. I sold more of the big air because uh, I was greedy and, and wanted to hold shares in another company I thought would do even better than Big Air. Mm-hmm. But I thought Big Air was going to make good, good earnings and their share price would reflect that. I thought they were incredibly underpriced after GFC. Anyway, long story short, um, Big Air ended up going up five times in value within like 18 months of me selling the shares and that would have paid for the entire house instead of us having a loan. Oh, so you, oh, so you did get a mortgage. I was about to ask that. Yeah, yeah, got know, a mortgage, yeah. So I had to, had to borrow and, and didn't want to be in heaps of debt for a property again because I thought there'd be a crash, which is why I sold so much of the portfolio. Yes. Um, yeah, anyway, so the earnings in Big Air would have paid for the place more than once. Um, yeah, right. And, and I, I pointed this out to my wife probably far too many times for yeah. a healthy relationship when it first happened and um, said, yeah, you know, that that's because you insisted <laughs> we buy an apartment. Brave. And um, yeah, this is the consequences. I tried to explain to you that, that yeah, there's always opportunity costs, yep. blah, blah, blah. At the same time, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but it's, 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 it's a problem for me because... I have to continue working in a job I'm not so keen to work in mm. instead of doing the shares. And had we had this money, I could have done the shares full-time, which yeah. would have been my dream job yeah. for myself. Um, anyway, so we, we had a bit of a talk about that and there yeah. was you know, some, some, some negative, like sad emotions or whatever. Yeah. And then she said, well, why don't you just handle the money stuff from now on? Yeah, okay. <laughs> that so that so might ha- be the simplest ha- thing. So, ha- so in terms of me um, not working full-time, yeah. That's not so difficult. She she trusts me to make a correct decision around the finances yeah, and, cool. and accepts that's a correct decision. And you guys have always had like pretty good like sort of uh, relationship in terms of being able to discuss that sort of stuff. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I, I think I say things to her, and then she says I never said that. And and I think even with um like communication in general. I think for two people who like each other as much as we do, we have some gaps in our communication. I don't know. Like it's it's uh, I I find her one of the more difficult people to to communicate with, mm. which is amazing because yeah, we we obviously deeply love each other, but yes. yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. So I can communicate with people I don't like quite well and be quite clear with each other, but it seems yeah. like there's always a lack of clarity in our communication. Yeah. Anyway, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. As long as what, what do they say? Um, I was at a wedding and. One of the the people who spoke at the wedding said, "Don't don't ever go to bed on an argument or something." So, yes. 
don't don't go to bed in a huff and, and wake up the next day. You resolve it before you go to sleep. Yeah. And, and I think we, we do that. So that's that's fine. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's not not marriage counseling. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't done oh, that. This, this, this is this is not advice or counseling. Mm. Um cool man. Well you had some I saw you had some some notes jotted down there for, for discussion today. Oh yeah. Or did I to... sidetrack you from something? No, that's all right. Um uh, you're asking how my um, portfolio went and then mm. um, I was talking about Big Air. And oh, what yes, else? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you probably did sidetrack me. We'll have to replay it. Mm. Um, yeah, look, I mean, you, you've probably got a list of stuff you want to talk about. but um, Yeah, I guess I, um, I've just been uh, weighing up uh, in particular because I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, uh, buying into a business at the end of the month and... Um, Boring. This is the business that you've mentioned previously for which you have a loan and we're talking about um, paying back the loan versus investing in the stock market. And, and yeah. I made the comment that if you're paying 8.75% interest and you're paying that loan off, you're getting a guaranteed 8.75% yeah. return. Yeah, so I, I just yeah, I went away and crunched, crunched some figures and really uh, confirmed that. I think that's probably been my main bit of research uh, mm. over the week. I haven't really been reading the news or sort of been scoping that out and also scoping out... Um, superannuation as well so salary sacrifice and logistics of that and i found out that um because uh, i have some insurances that come out of my superannuation uh in particular there's income protection that i pay i don't know it's like five or six bucks a week for but tax deductible my uh, my, my my managing director told me yeah so income protection as far as i know ask your accountant yeah is, is um tax deductible if you do it outside of super Oh, okay. And inside of super, I guess it's in this tax advantaged environment anyway. Oh, okay, okay. Um, it's it's not uncommon for financial advisors to have their clients with income protection outside of superannuation, mm-hmm. and then the disability, total and permanent disability, and mm. um, life insurance inside superannuation. Yeah. So, so with the income protection, why not? Why not inside? Uh, there's things called conditions of release. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can only get money out of superannuation if you meet a condition of release. The, yep. the most common c- condition of release is ceasing employment after the retirement age, 60 yes. or whatever yeah. it is now. Uh, there could be cases where someone is eligible to be paid income protection insurance mm-hmm. and the insurance pays, mm. but the super fund can't actually release the money to you. Really? So that's, yeah, right. there's a potential for that if it doesn't meet the condition of release. Um, some income protection insurances that were legacy income protection insurances mm. i think the government says uh, i think it's treated differently yeah, legacy okay. income protection insurance things where maybe it's it's easier to get past the condition of release mm-hmm. but the thing is if, if someone's in a, a situation where they need income protection insurance mm. they, they might not be in a position where they want to be dealing with getting the money out of super yeah, you okay. have to ask your own super funds about that and the conditions of yeah, release I'll, it might be on a case by case sure. basis yeah. But yeah, it's um, it's 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 as far as I know, it's tax deductible, is uh, because it's uh, ensuring your income. Effectively, yes. it's a cost yeah. of doing business in some senses as yes. an income earner, and, yeah. and that makes it tax deductible. But check that with your accountant. I haven't really paid attention to that sort of stuff for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's the main thing. Just other than that, just hoarding cash, um, and uh, yeah, um, that's that's a bit been my week, pretty yeah. much. Um, yeah, well, I was talking about how I bought these um, extracted high vo- extractive hydrocarbon resource oil. I bought I bought yeah, into oil yeah, stocks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I bought into a bunch of them, so mm-hmm. it's it's like an index for oil, um, yes. I guess. So I, I bought into that because uh, I think that the Russia thing 
is probably going to play out for a while. Mm. And in in what sense? Like, like so? I think it's going to be a, a prolonged war. And, yes. and and I think there's going to be more polarization between the West mm. as a ideological concept and in some ways a geography yes. and, and and the non-West. Yeah, and and, be, and because of the war, Russia's got a, a grip on the oil supply for Europe. Well, I think that it's actually gas, yeah. mostly yeah. gas. They 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 pipe pipe into Europe. Yes, but so. Uh, and Hugh Hendry talks about this, uh, as well as other people. I think Luke Luke Groman is another guy, G R O E M A N. He's he's worth listening to. But the the basic idea is that if someone's going to make investments, if an entity is going to make investments, they want a marketplace that's predictable, right? Yes. If 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 there's unpredictability, that's uh, an impediment to investment decisions. So we have a geopolitical uncertainty with Russia. We have financial uncertainty with the the apparent consequences of central banks raising interest rates. Mm-hmm. And there's also a political uncertainty around hydrocarbons as a as a fuel source. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of um lots of businesses are trying to get away from all these uh you know carbon emitting things. So there's a big question. What's in uh, and and apparently the U.S. government now and other governments might even be talking about taking bigger taxes on the oil companies because they're making, according to the government, excess profits because of the Russia situation. So the idea is that oil prices are high because of Russia, uh, yeah. w- whether that's true or not. But anyway, the um the governments, some governments are now saying that they should tax the oil companies more because they're making more profits because the oil price is high, which I I think is uh, very problematic. When it when it comes to um a free market and and businesses making decisions and then the government change, seeming to change the rules yeah, halfway well, through well it's kind of like removing the incentive to succeed yeah and yeah but, but 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 you're removing the incentive exactly um so you're an oil company everyone hates you because you're killing the environment and on top of that the government's saying okay we're going to tax you more uh, are you as an oil company thinking this is a really good environment to do more exploration and well development. Probably yeah. not. Yeah, you know, it's, pr- it's probably a disincentive to do exploration and well development. Mm. So, and and, and who? You know, I, I don't think we're going to go to a battery type thing. I, th- I think it's very ambitious. Let's say that. And, yeah. and there's lots of research to show that oil energy usage doesn't actually go down. Apparently. Yeah. So, well, in the in the 1800s, 1700s, whatever it was, people used to burn poo and extract heat from that that was a form of energy and there was a certain amount of of this that that was burnt and used for energy apparently that hasn't gone down it's just flat you know you have africa and and parts of asia and probably south america yeah that still use that requirements globally seem to go up all the time Mm. so there's um say that we're not actually going to reduce oil usage at all and we just won't increase it as much yes And, and and when we need more energy we might get it from other sources hopefully renewable sources that are good for the environment mm-hmm. so it, it, it seems like oil's here to stay mm-hmm. and, and will be for a long time at the same time you have an environment where one of the providers of natural resources russia is uh at, at you know some sort of uh conflict with the the west in you know even even maybe it's a proxy war in ukraine i don't know but anyway there's, there's conflict there and Russia, you know, theoretically 
could just turn off the taps and stop supplying energy to Europe. And, and Germany would be absolutely screwed if that happened. And a lot of Europe would be absolutely screwed if that could happen. So yeah, if, if you're Europe, you're looking at securing energy resources, right? Um, we had COVID and countries learned that they were heavily reliant on China for so many things. Yes. And the, the, those countries now and the businesses that rely on China are probably thinking we need to diversify our supply chains and maybe bring a bunch of our manufacturing home. So it, se- it seems like with the current political environment and, and, and COVID and probably just a trend that was happening anyway with uh, this, you know, people becoming more nationalistic and all this sort of stuff. Mm. You know, the, the idea Trump got elected because um, the, the, the heartland of America lost all their jobs to overseas manufacturing, whatever. So um, this idea that business should be brought home for political reasons with the domestic population, for supply chain reasons, and now also for national security reasons. Mm. In, in, in that context, even if Russia is a supplier of natural resources, it could be the case that there's a, a tiering of, of these natural resources where natural resources from Russia are just worth less mm. than natural resources from friendly countries. Yes. And on top of that, I don't see these businesses having a huge incentive to invest. Yes. If they're going to pay extra taxes and everyone hates them and maybe banks don't want to lend to them as much as well. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's part of a bank's mandate not to lend to, to, to these planet destroyers or whatever. Yeah. So in, in that environment, um, I think that we, we could have uh, sustained supply-demand uh, dynamics for oil. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, um, I was going to say something else. Yeah, on top of that as well, I mean, I'm actually a deflationist. I think, I think we're going to have deflation. Um, everyone, like a lot of people say inflation mm. and, and, and they have good arguments that I'm not smart so enough to disagree with. So could you define that will, term a bit for me? Yeah. I will. Um, but but um, let's just say we're in an inflationary environment. The, the idea is that um, in, in, in an inflationary, inflationary environment, owning hard assets is, is the way to go. Yep. And and oil is a hard asset that's used mm-hmm. and needed, so it's it's a, it's a, it's um it's a supply demand play. It's just a good business price to to buy various of these oil companies, in my opinion, at the price they're at. And um, I I see I don't see oil going down heaps anytime mm-hmm. soon. Maybe it does, but you know, it went to minus twenty dollars a barrel, not not you know two years ago or something. Minus? How does it do minus? People, <laughs> you can't give. You have to pay people to take it away. Like, yeah. it literally yeah. what is get yeah. off my hands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll explain that as well. Um, but, 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 um, yeah. So, you know, in that context, um, I, I, I bought some oil uh, yeah. stuff. I already had some. Would I bought, you get paid I bought to more. Take it? I bought more. No, no. So, um, yeah, there's the futures market. We talked about the futures market mm-hmm. in, in previous conversations. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the futures market is for future delivery, mm-hmm. and um, I think it's a, it's the future delivery in America to Chicago. It's the CBOE, Chicago Board of Exchange or something like that. Mm. So you buy all futures. Uh, look, yeah, the specifics might be wrong here, but the vibe's right. Um, you buy all futures and therefore, say, September 2022 delivery, yep. you've got to take delivery from Chicago on September 2022. Yes. Unless there's some other way you can work out what to do. So what, what traders do is traders will buy the futures and then sell them before it's time to take delivery. Yep. Because you know you can't fit much oil in your Lamborghini or whatever you yeah. whatever you're <laughs> driving as a trader, yeah. so no one wanted oil. Yeah, and 
people had a legal responsibility to collect it from Chicago, whatever it was, on a certain date. Yeah, right. And and they're not they're not businesses that actually need oil, mm. right? So there are actual businesses in the world that buy things on the futures market to, yep. to manage their price risk. Mm-hmm. If I, if I'm a if I'm say I make wheat bix, right? I'm that company wheat bix, mm. and uh, wheat bix are uh, it's a breakfast cereal with wheat in it. If, yeah. if someone's outside Australia, owned by very, Sanitarium, I think. Yeah, very, very, very popular in Australia. Like the cricket teams always advertising wheat bix yeah. and Aussie kids, uh, wheat bix <laughs> kids, and yeah, it's it's yeah, it's, it's part of our culture. People might even put Vegemite on them for all I know. Mm. I, I think I've seen that. But anyway, um, so your 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 Sanitarium or Sanitation. Put it on sanitation, Scarface. Oh. But, uh, you remember that scene where no. Tony's telling um, Manny to, to you know, to try and get him out of the uh, prison thing they're in when they re- they migrate to America, and he's like, "I told him what you told me to tell him. I'm in sanitation." He's like, "I told you to say you're in a sanitarium." Oh right. You should have yeah. said you're a horse. They would have believed you or something like that. <laughs> yes. That's yeah. Going back to anyway, me. I do really good Scarface impressions. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, sanitarium or whatever they're called, the wheat bigs guys, they might buy wheat futures at a fixed price. Yep. They might buy it, you know, for the next three years, mm-hmm. delivery each month. Yep. For the next three years, now they've locked in the cost of their major input. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not their major input, but wheat bigs is wheat, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, the property plant and equipment is an input too, but they've they've locked that price in, yep. right? And and that they do that through the futures market, or they can do it through contracts mm. independently with with farmers and stuff like that. So mm. the futures market for these commodities is because there's an actual real life demand for commodities at a certain price, and yes. and that gives um people business planning capacity. Mm-hmm. But then you get uh, Wall Street types and and suit wearing people who have nothing to do with the manufacturing required mm. for for the, 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 these commodities go into. Mm. They'll just speculate on the price of oil. Yeah. Or, or wheat or these other commodities. Mm. And and that's that's uh, an aspect of the futures market. And mm-hmm. if, if you speculate on these things for delivery and no one wants them, then you've got to take delivery. And, and if you can't take delivery, you end up paying, as it turns out, someone yeah. to take delivery. And I think it's a minus $30 a barrel US or something. It was insane. Yeah. Like I looked at it and I, I had to, you know, look at the, the screen again. It's like this, this isn't possible. Did that filter into like petrol prices at all? No, don't think so. No, they weren't paying <laughs> yeah. you to fill up, mate. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, that's another observation. Of, that's another observation I've made during my week was uh, my little Toyota Prius, which you, you know <clears throat> usually costs forty-five to fifty bucks to fill up. Was it's about sixty bucks to fill all up? All right. Yeah. So that's um, yeah. I love it how you dropped in that you're a Prius driver after I said I bought oil. That's really good virtue signaling there. <laughs> Nothing about virtue signaling. No, I just, just like that it's uh, cheap to run. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cheap to run, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was just joking about the virtue signaling. But anyway, um, so <laughs> yeah. with the, with the um, yeah, so I've explained the, the, the future delivery and, and, and how oil went negative. Um, what was the other thing I had to explain? Deflation and inflation, yes. right? Yep. So... What was his name? Oh. Chicago School of Economics, really smart guy. Explains things really well. Uh, I can't remember his name. He's really famous. Um, anyway, um, well, famous for that sort of stuff. Yep. He said that um, Milton Friedman, I think it was mm-hmm. Milton Friedman who said it, that inflation is always a monetary phenomenon. Yep. All right? Um, and I guess, what, what does that mean? So, and what is inflation? In, inflation is something to do with money. Um, 
you have an economy. I'm not sure if I've explained this to you before, Andre, as an idea, but you have an economy with $100 and 100 cans of Coke in the economy mm-hmm. and wealth is pretty evenly distributed or whatever and, and, and everything's functioning. Uh, in, in very simple terms, a can of Coke costs a dollar, right? Um, overnight, another $100 has dropped into that economy. So there's, there's $200 in the economy, but there's still only 100 cans of Coke in the economy. In theory, each can of Coke should now be two dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. That's inflation. Yep. Uh, there's more money, finite amount of goods or fixed amount of goods. Therefore, the amount of money per good increases. Amount of cost to buy goods increases. So again, an economy with a hundred dollars, hundred cans of Coke, can of Coke's a dollar. All of a sudden, you put extra money into the economy, and there's two hundred dollars now. Mm-hmm. Still only a hundred cans of Coke. Mm-hmm. It's two dollars a can of Coke. Um, you Do you ever look- get like pr- uh, production inflation? I don't know if that's like, you know, you know what I mean? It's like you get more cans of Coke and less money. Well, I guess that'd be deflation. It, take, it, take, it takes time. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in, in, in this scenario, maybe the extra money means the Coke factory decides to make more cans of Coke for the economy. Yep. But that doesn't happen overnight anyway. Yes. Right. Um, and, and in fact, you know, let's, let's, let's go with that. So the extra $100 has dropped in the economy. Now there's $200 in the economy. Mm-hmm. And um, another hundred dollars the next day mm-hmm. is dropped in the economy. Mm-hmm. So now there's three hundred dollars in the economy, mm-hmm. and cans of Coke are three dollars a can, mm-hmm. right? And that's the economy. And people get super excited, thinking, "Wow, this is happening every day," and the cans of Coke are skyrocketing. Mm. So all these ads on TV: invest in Coca-Cola factories, invest in Coke. Mm. It's 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 going to the moon, mm. and all this sort of stuff. So. The, the capacity to make Coke in the economy goes from 100 cans of Coke to 10,000 cans of Coke. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, the money stops getting dropped in overnight. And then what you have is all this overcapacity because people expected the monetary conditions to continue for a very long time, mm-hmm. but they didn't. <clears throat> and then all this, this, this manufacturing or the, the factories in Coke that mm. now have a swimming in Coke is malinvestment. Yep. And you probably get a recession after. And all these people who got super excited because they got jobs at the Coke factory and whatever and, and then went and bought furniture on, on loan. You know, they borrowed money to buy furniture and all that mm. sort of stuff. The furniture shop guy was doing well, so he takes his wife on a holiday. Mm. All, all that sort of stuff just ceases and explodes because yeah. all this malinvestment ends up being proven to be malinvestment mm. and, and a lot of expenses that were based on this uh, sense of wealth and the continuance of wealth. All of a sudden, you know, so it's all just money wasted. Mm-hmm. So that's um, that's a I guess the consequences of uh, of some of these monetary phenomena mm-hmm. when when people expect conditions to continue forever, or, or you know maybe just out out into the future. So deflation would be you've got a hundred cans of coke in the economy, hundred dollars in the economy, a dollar for a can of coke, and for some reason I don't know, my mattress catches a light and the fifty bucks that was under my mattress because I'm part of the one percent in this fantasy scenario. The 50 bucks is burnt anyway. Now there's only $50 in the economy. Yep. Uh, and a can of Coke, um, instead of being $1, is now $2 mm-hmm. a can of Coke. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the money, and I, that's, sorry, I'm not explaining that very well. Deflation is when money buys more yep. stuff. So it would be actually in, in the deflation scenario. Wouldn't your can of Coke go to 50 cents? 
Yeah, but it doesn't work that way, does it? Oh, yeah, it goes 50 cents. I just did the math wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I was right. I just can't do math. There you yeah. go. Yeah, so it's $50, Kennecott goes 50, 50 cents. Yep. Um, another thing might be that there's still $100 in the economy mm-hmm. and there's good investment of, of Coke mm. and there's more Coke in the system now. Mm-hmm. And instead of being a dollar a can, it goes to 95 cents a can mm-hmm. or 90 cents a can. And that yep. would also be deflation. Yep. Um, and so in, is it like, sorry to interrupt, but is like, so let's say uh, uh, like observing computers over my lifetime. I remember, you know, in the early 90s, you know, 5,000 bucks for a, for a home PC. Um, and then it wouldn't out the point where you can buy laptops for like 200 bucks. Is, is that uh, an example? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the, the cost of the good has got cheaper and cheaper mm. as, as the sophistication and the capacity of the economy to produce things has improved. Mm. It's, it's interesting, interesting thing as well, because when, they talk about inflation. Uh, I think they have this thing called the hedonic index or something in America, but there's there's criticism over the measure of inflation, right? Yeah. Um, the when you say like hedonic, like as in hedonism. He, yeah, sort of, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know specifics of it, but there's a there's a criticism in America with the way inflation and maybe other places too, the way inflation is calculated by the government because they'll say that yeah. Um, maybe prices are going up, but we've got to factor in that the computer that you know, you pay $2,000 for this year mm. would have been a, a, a $4,000 computer three years ago. Yes. So in fact, prices are going down. Mm. And someone's like, well, my vegetable prices are going up. Mm. My um, rent prices are going up. Mm. You're, you're saying that we don't have inflation because my my car this year is slightly better or the cars manufactured this year is slightly better than previous years. Mm. The, the computers manufactured this mm. year are slightly better than previous years. So... The, the calculation is saying that the improvements actually equal the price. Improvement in a product, mm. the price being even, mm. is in some ways the price going down. Well, I, I kind of, I, I agree with that for sure. I mean, you, you've, like the, the like a, let's say a Toyota Corolla, for example. Um, uh, I've observed the price over about 10 years, hasn't changed that much. Um, but the amount of stuff you get packed into it, you know, the technology, the the reversing sensors, the the you know your cameras, the integration with your smartphone, all that sort of stuff. That's and the it's not like it's the the cars doubled or tripled in price. It's pretty much the you know pretty similar. Yeah. Um, so you're getting more for the same dollar. Yeah. One dollar has yeah. more purchasing power in that vehicle. That's, yeah. that's deflation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other side of it is house prices are going up heaps yes. in, in a lot of places. Uh, rent, food, all these other inputs, education, all these things. So yeah, yeah. A lot of people will say we're, we've got lots of it in, in America. I'm not in America, but people mm. will say in America there's rampant inflation. Yes. And then the, the people who do the calculating for the government will say, well, actually, you get a lot more in your Corolla. Things aren't that crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's different arguments on that. Some people say that's just fudging the numbers by the government. Other people say, no, actually, that's, that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I came across a, a guy, uh, Phil Town, was talking that um, I'm not sure of the theory behind it, but he reckons the way that the government uh, calculates and and displays inflation is not correct, and it's actually like a really underestimated. So, because they're quoting like it was like seven or eight percent at the moment, he reckons it's like the true factors close to like like fifteen percent. Yeah, it could be. I mean. Uh, or, or your your computer device is actually a lot better, and that, that counts as deflation. Yeah, well, I yep. guess it depends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not saying Phil Town's wrong. A lot mm. of a lot of people say that. It's like, well, just look at your everyday expenses. Mm. 
if you're saving less or you can't save and getting into debt to buy the same stuff, yes, clearly the purchasing power of money has gone down. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I actually, um, I'm, I'm of the, uh, I think if anything we'll have deflation. So mm-hmm. uh, the central banks who are supposed to be the baddies, uh, okay. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying they're not the baddies with that said, but you know. So you're, you're saying you're a shill for the yeah, banks? No, I'm shilling <laughs> for the banks. That's, they, they they have been they were saying for ages that the inflation in America is transitory, mm-hmm. and and I agreed not because they said it, but because other people who I thought were smart said it. And transitory? Yeah, it's not going to happen forever. It's ah. so the idea is you had COVID, the government put lots of money in the hands of the population. Mm-hmm. They spent it on physical things, mm-hmm. you know, objects, and, yep. and the price of those objects went up because there wasn't a whole bunch of objects in the system because the factories that produce those objects were shut down because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So the, the supply yep. uh, was ceased mm-hmm. and demand went up yep. because people had this money that they, they, they were willing to spend on, on these things. And the idea was that the money they've been given will disappear as they buy things mm-hmm. and the manufacturing capacity will increase as, yeah. as things unwind from COVID. Mm-hmm. And then prices will normalise and um, in fact, yeah, it could be the case that the manufacturing capacity increases and the demand drops heaps because the money that was given out by the government or whatever is, is gone and now you have overcapacity, mm. which means the, the factories need to sell stuff and, and prices go down and you have deflation yeah. in price from yeah, that. Okay. Um, that, that, that. Someone might say, well, you said inflation is a monetary phenomenon and, and where's the money behind that? Mm. That's, I mean, I could talk about that. It's a bit of a rant. Um, that's cool, man. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so uh, that, 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 that's anyway um, in, 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 in very high level um, why I think we, we could have deflation yes. because the capacity will come back into the market and the demand won't be there. Yeah. Um, as a monetary phenomenon, uh, I talked before about this Jeff Snyder and the Alhambra, um, Alhambra Partners or whatever where he, I think he works and he writes. Um, Jeff Snyder was talking about the idea that there's this... Um, a, a, a banking system that is outside of the central banks. Mm-hmm. So, so the idea is basically the, the this idea that central banks print money is it, it's um. Did you hear of helicopter Ben, helicopter Ben Bernanke, or anything like that? No, because you weren't interested in this stuff no, ten no. years ago, or whatever, no, um, no. eight years ago. So Ben Bernanke was the head of the Federal Reserve, and oh, um, and he did he get busted for a Ponzi scheme? No. No, that was Bernie Madoff. Oh, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, so, yeah, Bernanke, I think, said if needs be, mm. we will drop money from helicopters yeah. to have more money supply, right? Yeah. So they called him Helicopter Ben. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that, that helicopter money thing is like that economy with the cans of Coke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they drop, the can, they drop the dollars from the sky mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there's all this extra money in the system. Yep. And that pushes the the price of, of coke up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with the GFC, the demand for coke went down. Mm-hmm. Demand for everything went down, right? Yep. Um, and well, not everything, but everything physical. Demand for dollars mm-hmm. would have gone up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the demand goes down, and and to to get more demand in the economy, why not just fly over a city with a helicopter and drop money from the sky? That that'll get people spending again. Mm-hmm. So that that was the idea of injecting money into the system to to prime the economy again. And, and theoretically, that comes from um, 
Keynes, John Maynard Keynes. I've, I've read a little bit of his stuff, but not, not, not enough to, to speak and, and, and analyze. But that's the idea. It's a Keynesian phenomenon, this um, priming the system with money. Yeah. Whether it's true or not, um, whether that's a mis- uh, representation of Keynes. But anyway, um, so Helicopter Ben put, puts money in the system and, and, and that um, in theory, if, if, if he puts too much money in the system with this helicopter, then there's excess demand and prices go up. So it's about putting the right amount of money in the system. Yep. And you know, the Federal Reserve's money printing, yep. uh, this idea that they're, they're putting money in the system, but uh, apparently that's all nonsense. And yeah. They didn't print any extra money. There's actually different kinds of money, as it turns out. There's yes. um, M1 money, M2 money, or something like that. And I think M3, I can't remember which one's which, but... In the context of which economy or just economies in general? Yeah, yeah, just economic theory, yeah, yeah. economies in general. So, um, I mean, we'll talk about America. Mm. That's, that's where the center of this stuff comes from. Um, so the M1 money supply, I think, is the amount of dollars, physical dollars, mm. like, you know, the ones under people's mattresses and stuff. Yeah. Um, and banks, they, 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 there's, there's fractional reserve lending, right? So a bank has um, a 20... 20 or you know 2 million physical dollars in its vaults right but it actually lends much more than 2 million dollars it lends money it doesn't have yep. effectively and that, that that's fractional reserve banking and and there's requirements that they have to have a, a reserve holding but they can lend a multiple of that mm-hmm. you know, they can lend eight times more than their reserves or yep. whatever um so then the banks hold that amount of money but they lend more than they have and there's all these balance sheet transactions between banks it's not if if i buy something at the shop and i'm not paying with physical dollars i'm i'm paying with my card then all these transactions are just kind of offsetting each other on the ledgers of the banks yep so no actual money needs to change hands Mm -hmm. and and it's all, all it's all accounting right so if a bank has the capacity to lend eight times its cash holdings Mm -hmm. And it lends eight times its cash holdings, mm-hmm. and all the banks are doing that. Yeah. And then the, the banks are lending at, at capacity. Yes. And 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 there's a whole bunch of money in the system. There's eight times more than M1 in the system. Yes. But a bunch of that money isn't actually money. It's, it's just debits and credits on on balance sheets. Yeah. Okay. Or, sorry, ledgers of banks. Um. So I can assume that there's so for all the the numbers that are in my bank account at the moment, there's not dollar for dollar some paper floating around. Yeah, that's right. So if we, if everyone in Australia got their bank accounts together, mm. there's probably not that many dollars in Australia. Yeah. Okay. So if it, like if uh, again, sorry to interrupt, but the it, so if everyone sort of rushed to the ATM, something happens like uh, uh, like what happened in Russia when everyone was like bum rushing the the ATMs, um, there wouldn't be enough money to cover everyone. Yeah, and that's what bank runs are. What's yeah. that? Mary Poppins is that the one where the guy kid causes a bank run because he said the bank wouldn't give me money. And I don't causes a bank run. <laughs> I don't um, remember that yeah. at all. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bank run anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, okay. yeah. When 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 people don't trust the bank actually has the money and yeah. they don't, yeah. <laughs> they don't have the, they don't have the physical dollars. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a trust system there, and it by and large. Imagine works. if we caused the bank run. What's that? Imagine if we caused yeah. the bank run. <laughs> this, this, this podcast. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean it's it's it, it's. It works. Maybe, maybe it won't work forever. Maybe this is mm. like the Wizard of Oz or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it seems to work. Anyway, so so the banks hold you know one dollar and lend eight against it or whatever. Yep. The the central banks might say, oh, we're we're changing that requirement. You can actually lend um 
20 times what you have in holdings. And then the banks will um, maybe lend up to 20 times their holdings mm-hmm. and, and, and there's more you know, money in the system, not, not um, physical dollars in the system, but there's more mm. money yep. on, on these debits and credits or whatever and, and, and it all just kind of evens itself out. And one, one person's debit is another person's credit. Mm-hmm. Um, I buy to you or I owe you money um, and, and, and you've lent me money. Mm-hmm. You know, that balances out to some extent. Um, so the, the, the central banks with their money printing apparently was just changing the requirements by and large that the banks might have for their reserves. It's like, okay, um, you, you can, you can lend more against these reserves before it was eight times, but now you can lend 20 times against these reserves. And theoretically, if a bank does that, that puts more money in the system. Um, again, not physical notes, but, but more money that people Mm. exchange their time and labor for. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'd barely ever touch physical notes. So yeah. all the money I'm touching is just balance sheet money. It's yes. debits and credits. Yeah. But nonetheless, you know, I, I work and I, you know, I'll exchange my my time and labor mm-hmm. and, and and physical resources for these debits and credits mm-hmm. on, on on a bank balance sheet, which is my bank account. Um, so the money printing wasn't putting M1 in the system. Apparently, it mm. was just giving the banks capacity to put more of these debits and credits kind of money in the system. Yeah. Okay. But if um if 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 I'm a central bank and and I say to a bank, all right, you can you can lend twenty times your deposits, mm-hmm. not eight times your deposits like before. That that's supposed to put more money in the economy, get more economic activity, right? Mm-hmm. What if the banks say, well, we can't find anyone to lend to. Mm. You know, we still have to get the money back, even yeah. though. We've we've kind of created about thin air. There's there's still risk to us from lending it, not getting it back. So, and and then the central bank's like, all right, we'll give you more deposits. Mm-hmm. Not only that, like, we're well, not only will we make it so you can um, lend more against the existing deposits you have, we'll give you deposits to put in your bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that 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 was another thing that you know the central banks had has had an, as an option and took. They they um, effectively um, put deposits in in banks accounts and said you've got more deposits and you can lend a, a multiple of those deposits mm-hmm. and, the, and the banks might not have lent yep um so so the money printing itself was as far as i understand it wasn't actually printing money it was just giving banks capacity to lend more yeah and, and the banks either have to take that option up or not mm-hmm. um you know the banks have to hold assets that they lend again so may, maybe a bank was holding really bad assets like loans to people who could never pay the loan but it's still an asset until the person defaults on the loan Mm -hmm. and everyone knows that the person's going to default so the 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 price of that asset on on the bank's books might be you know a hundred dollars but people know it's going to default and it's actually worth zero Mm. right um and the bank might have to refresh the value of that you know every quarter or, or some period of time and then the central banks were like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll take all these really bad assets off you. We'll buy them off you for a dollar. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is like, they're worth five cents. Central yeah. banks like, we'll buy it for a dollar. Um, we'll buy it for what you bought it for and we'll swap it for actual US dollars or, or if it's not US dollars, then um, something something that's close to US dollars. So they, they, they recycle the bank's crappy assets that are not worth what they not not worth what the bank paid for them with pristine assets, US dollars, whatever. And and then that might give the bank more money, 
more more confidence to lend money. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so that, that, that's what the money printing was around that kind of thing. Yes. Um, but if the banks aren't lending, mm. then there's there's none of this priming of the economy that yeah. this this Keynesian um, theory. But also priming the economy, aside from just, uh, I imagine it all. Uh, I imagine that it holds like an important just uh, like peacekeeping function. Uh, that's not the right word. Uh, in terms of uh, preventing social unrest, you know, like say uh, with um, COVID and all the, the, the money we got in Australia, the job keeper and all that sort of thing. Like if you had people locked up in their house with no possibility for money or buying anything, I'd imagine people would just run amok, start looting and things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, okay, let, let's, let's, um, let's assume that people don't run amok mm-hmm. and go looting. Let, let's assume that they're like someone who stole bread to feed their starving family, right? Yes. So they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not out of control. Mm. They're, they're, they're just doing the, the minimum crime, I guess you'd say, <laughs> yeah. to, to get a, a result that's needed, right? Yes. The bread, bread for the family. So you've got someone who's locked up with COVID mm-hmm. and they can't afford food, right? Because yeah. the government hasn't given them money, but they've locked yep. them up with COVID. They're under lockdowns or whatever. So they go and steal mm-hmm. the loaf of bread. Yep. But in doing so, they cough on someone mm. and give them COVID. Yes. So it's not not necessarily just a social unrest mm. that, that's the issue. It's that um, if, if if people are in positions where they have to interact with people more to get the the resources, in this mm-hmm. case, on their crime spree for bread, yep. you're potentially spreading the COVID too. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, absolutely though. I think um, I think I think governments do give money to the population to to mm. stop social unrest. Um, I, I was on Centrelink, you know the. Government money where when you're on you know at uni or whatever mm. and, and you know had various mates have been on the dole for various times yeah um, and oh I've, I've thought from a very young age pre pre adult mm. uh, the the there must be something where because always like why would the why would why would people get money for not working yeah it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. like as a kid and it occurred to me that some people won't work and if they don't work and they want things they'll steal them. Yes. So maybe it's maybe in some cases it's paying people not to steal stuff, yeah. and that's it. That's yeah. maybe that's what a lot of the social welfare in the monetary thing is. It's like, well, we it's going to be a bigger cost to the economy if there's more crime because people are doing petty crime, stealing things. Mm. We're better off just giving people a couple hundred bucks a week who might have otherwise stolen. It's not to say everyone of the dolls going to steal, but they're, yeah. you know, a very small percentage. Mm. Maybe it's just paying them not to steal. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. Maybe I might get a lot of negative feedback, but um, yeah. So yeah. so, in that context, uh, yeah, I think obviously people go through transition phases of life anyway, and mm. and, and the government support can be very helpful for them. And I, yeah. I was that I was on the government support myself again as, as a student, and and I know people who are business owners and stuff have been on the dole. But um, mm. yeah, maybe maybe there's an element of that um, yeah. in in these situations that the government is um basically paying people to be law-abiding citizens. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, and, and and so I guess it's yeah finding that balance like you're talking about, you know, sort of taking it in the neck with this inflation a little bit, but also making sure everyone ticks along. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. Mm. Um, but the, the the deflation thing I have is um because the so we get more manufactured goods right mm. um because the COVID stuff is is gonna end at some point. 
On top of that, the regions are now manufacturing their own stuff. Mm-hmm. So you have actually excess capacity globally yep. because the one factory in China that was good enough for the whole world, now there's that one factory still there, but regions like North America and Europe and, and maybe even other parts of Asia have their own factories. Yep. So then you have actually overcapacity of factories mm-hmm. to produce the basically same amount of goods. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be deflation on the goods. And mm-hmm. then the banks themselves, maybe the government has, you know, quotation marks, printed money, mm-hmm. but the banks aren't lending. Yeah. So the, all this money's there. It's just sitting on the bank's balance sheets and they're not lending it. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's this like, you know, M2 or whatever kind of money it is in the system, but it's not, well, there's, it's there, but it's not actually in, in the, it's, it's not on Main Street. It's not in the, the real economy. Yeah. In which case, so, you know, the, 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 the central banks can put, you know, so much, you know, trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars on the bank's balance sheets. Yeah. If the banks aren't lending it, doesn't matter. it may as well just be under the bank's mattress. Yeah. It's not getting in the real economy. Yeah. So it could be the case that um, the, the banks have these, have, have a whole bunch of money on their balance sheets and could lend a lot more and they're not. Mm. And, and maybe it's because in aggregate, the information the banks are getting is saying there's not, it's too risky to lend. Yeah. And if that's the case, then that's, that's probably diminished economic activity. Mm-hmm. So while, whilst these factories are being built in regions to, to manage supply chain risk, you, you also potentially have less economic, less economic activity elsewhere, mm-hmm. which, which means you know, fewer jobs and, and fewer people going on holidays and all that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. there's, there's deflation around that. Yeah. Price deflation around yeah. that. So yeah, even though buying oil, um, I, I, I suspect that the, the longer term thing will be um recession deflation kind of stuff and i think it's interesting too that the central bank in america's raising interest rates um Mm -hmm. again what effect that has on the real economy i don't know um but um you know the idea is they're trying to slow down the economy um slow down inflation Mm -hmm. whatever by raising interest rates um i i i suspect that they might decide that they shouldn't have raised interest rates and and um, that might have caused, you know, economic pain like a recession or something. And they might do a complete U-turn on that. Oh, um, so they won't raise them? Oh, well, I mean, look, I'm, uh, they've already raised them. Yeah. Um, but my, my, my suspicion, if, if I'm right about the deflation mm. argument, um, that the, the banks aren't lending, apparently banks aren't lending. This is, you know, coming from Jeff Snyder and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's what he's saying. Um, but, yeah, if, if there's um, economic gloom on the horizon... Mm. But the, the central banks, like the re, uh, Federal Reserve, is looking in the rearview mirror saying prices have gone up. Yep. Over the horizon, maybe prices aren't. Maybe prices are going down because of the excess supply, um, lack of demand because there hasn't been these government handouts to the population because yep. of COVID. Um, so it might, it might be a thing where we end up with oversupply and, and deflation of prices, yep. in which case, why is the central bank raising interest rates? Yep. And, and maybe they're like, oh, we better, we better lower, them, mm. lower them again. Yeah, it's hard to say. So I've been in a while yet. I'm fully yeah. invested in my long term. Like my super's fully invested, basically, because yeah, it's a long term hold, and I'm terrible at timing markets. But yeah, my brain says we're having deflation and probably a recession. Yes, but at the same time, I don't want to be out of the markets, and it's a long hold, and, yeah. and I'm pretty bad at predicting these things. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, right. Well, maybe we'll move on to those point, points you were talking about there uh-huh. uh, that you've got listed there. Sorry. Yeah, you, you can read them. All right, so we've got Sonos in the markets. So entry and exit. Yep. Um, so Hit me. it's um, I I, I try I, I've I bought Sonos speakers. So Sonos make these wireless speakers. Um, I bought some like ten years ago or eight years ago, 
and um, um I, I um Sonos went from one system, the S1 app or whatever, their their platform for doing all this wireless stuff to the S2 app. And I'd been resisting upgrading all my Sonos stuff for ages. Um, but eventually I was like, I'll just upgrade everything because I um I, I, I don't want to have to deal with two different apps, the S1 app and the and the S2 app. So yep. the idea was to buy new Sonos stuff, put everything on the S2 app, and my old speakers, which are Sonos Play 5 Gen 1s, to, to sell them and um you know be done with them and i bought them for like 600 bucks each and you know i'll be lucky to get um i thought i get 250 h for them but the market's saying less than 200 so I'll, I'll take a hit on them and, and they'll be gone but um I, I um i bought a bunch of other sonos stuff on ebay mm-hmm. the the sonos play 5 gen 2s mm-hmm. and i saw on ebay a bunch of them going for like you know five six hundred dollars whatever and i i got some for how four. much were they retail <clears throat> i think that was 700 or something yeah. retail excuse me <coughs> um, that was seven hundred dollars at retail, and I got them for like four fifty, and I thought that's pretty good. Um, you know, got got excited, you know, pressed the buy now, or like you know, email the person or whatever it is through eBay, saying, "Hey, yeah. would you take this much for it?" And they say, yeah. "Yes," and I, you know, rush of blood and buy it or whatever. Mm. Anyway, like two weeks later, after buying all this sort of stuff to like completely upgrade my whole system, lots of rooms in the house. Um, I, I like I like music throughout the house. <laughs> I decided I don't like Sonos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, what happened was I used um, Tidal. So Tidal is a, a music streaming service and you can pay for the premium uh, music and it's it's a higher bit rate. It's a higher um, amount of information that goes into... Yeah. So it's uh, getting approaching sort of CD quality. Yeah, that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, so, so I paid for the fancy Tidal stuff and then just did a head-to-head Tidal and Spotify using... The Sonos Play 5 Gen 2s, and I actually also bought a bloody Sonos 5, the newest one as well, for yep. $575. Um, it turns out if you haggle with JB Hi-Fi, you can get them new for about that anyway. So <laughs> 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 but anyway, um, yeah, I was playing with this um, title, you know, super high-quality music allegedly, and um, versus Spotify, which is lower quality. Yeah. I couldn't hear a difference. Yeah. And I thought, well, it's either my hearing or, or the Sonos speakers don't, do so well with this high quality music and yes. do a bit of interneting and apparently they don't uh, they, they can only play music at a certain bit rate so mm-hmm. some of these premium services aren't really you know useful for Sonos yeah. and I thought well yeah the the main reason I bought these new Sonos like Play 5 Gen 2s and 3s was because I had one and I compared it to the old Play 5 Gen 1 yep. and it sounded a haze better yep. than the Play 5 Gen 1 so compared to the Play 5 Gen 1s, these new Sonos Play 5s were really, really yeah. good. Um, so the Play 5s, is that a Play 5, what we've got down there? Yeah, Andre actually, <laughs> the, the, the psychology of trading. So I refused to sell the Play 5 Gen 1s yeah. for lower than I think they're worth. Yeah. And I'd rather give them to Andre than sell them <laughs> for lower than I think they're worth. So uh, just for, for anyone that's <laughs> listening, uh, Play 5, it's... Uh, uh, it's uh, like a standalone unit that, that has multiple speakers, so you get stereo sound uh, out of it, and and I guess larger, larger uh, speaker cones, so maybe you know uh, more volume, more more bass, all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and and compared to the Gen Twos and and the newest ones, the original Play Five sound pretty mediocre, yeah. I think. Um, Did you check out the Bowers and Wilkins <laughs> Zeppelins at all? No. Oh. But um. Anyway, so. So I got these new Play 5s because the old, they made the old ones seem just you know, awful compared to the new ones. Mm. Um, and then 
I decided that, well, if Sonos, if I can't hear a difference between Sonos, I mean, if I can't hear a difference with the high quality streaming on Sonos, it's either mm-hmm. my ears or, or, or Sonos that's the problem. Yes. So I went to a, a, or, you know, an audio store, a hi-fi shop, and, and they were like, no, nah, it's, um, it's not your ears. It's, it's the speaker only has so much capacity. And, yes. You know, this speaker has an amplifier, a streamer, and, and the speaker's all packed into this little thing. Mm. If, if you were to compare that to a hi-fi system that has its own amplifier that, yeah. you know, can cost anywhere from like $1,000 to a lot, a lot more yeah. than that. Um, you know, and then separate speakers that weigh a lot more than the Sonos speakers mm. and are much bigger. And then a st- dedicated streamer that, mm. that costs more. It's basically, you know, the, you pay more money for this hi-fi stuff, but you get a better product. Yeah. Um, so I, I listened to the hi-fi store and thought, yeah, that does sound better. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want the thing where the music makes the hairs on my neck stand up. I want that yeah. um, physical reaction to the music. And uh, yeah, I got a bit of a vibe of that at the hi-fi store. So I thought, well, that's it. All my Sonos stuff is going. Yeah, okay. Um, so what's, your, what's your new system getting a big Macintosh uh, long play and uh, tube amplifiers and stuff like that? No, it's probably more esoteric and, and, and hi-fi nerdy than I'm, I'm aware of. I've heard of tube amplifiers, but mm. I don't know much about that sort of stuff. But anyway, with the Sonos stuff, um, I'm trying to sell it now. And like I've had like 470 per mm. Play 5 Gen 2 or yeah. whatever. This is via eBay. Yeah, yeah, eBay. Yeah. Um, trying to sell them now. Um, had a guy offer me, I paid $1,400 for three, right? Yeah. Had a guy on Gumtree... Very polite and civilized, which is not always the case on Gumtree. Yes. Um, offer me fourteen hundred dollars. I'm like, no, I want to make a profit off these. <laughs> <laughs> so I said no. I got greedy, and then I decided that I really didn't want this on of stuff because I heard an, another um, wireless speaker called Blue Sound. Mm-hmm. That's um. Yeah, they're, they're the same Sonos concept, but um, apparently more premium. And I found a place that was selling these Blue Sound, the very first generation ones. So they're like, there's three or four generation of these now, but the very first generation ones, they had them brand new in box for 400 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's new or whatever it was. And I'm getting a brand spanking new one for 400 bucks. That's mm. less than I paid for the Sonos speakers. And, and yeah. it does the high quality audio stream. And this Blue Sound, they're like an integrated <laughs> unit as well? Or yeah, you... it's, like, it's like the Sonos Play 5s, yeah, yeah. uh, but apparently better. Um, and, and I thought, well, if they're, if they're $400, and they're supposed to be better sound and <clears throat> higher quality streaming and everything, then then the ones I paid four seventy four aren't as good. So the cheaper ones better. That, that, that's that's that was my thinking. So so then even though I paid four seventy for them, they became worth less in my eyes. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, well, and I bought these um these blue sound like Pulse three thousands or whatever. Mm. They're like God no fifth. They're really old now, but they're brand new on box. The guy like at the hi fi shop in like. Queensland, they're mm. online. He's like, yeah, it's, they've just been sitting there. You know, I don't sell Blue Sound anymore. Yeah. So I bought them, want to offload these um, Sonos speakers and <clears throat> put them on Gumtree, put them on my wife's Facebook marketplace and just get all these ridiculous offers or whatever. Mm. Um, so I found that it's a lot easier to buy Sonos speakers than it is to sell Sonos speakers. Yep. And even though on eBay some of these speakers are selling for like six hundred bucks, I'm I'm struggling to sell one for four fifty or five hundred. Mm. So that's eBay's the market, right? Mm-hmm. To an extent, that's one of the marketplaces. Yeah, ASX, Exchange, Stock Exchange is yeah. a market. So in in the market, um, I've put these up for sale, and I've had like I don't know sixty views, mm. right? So my marketplace I'm selling in has sixty views. Um, BHP as a stock, probably trades millions and millions of shares a day, yeah. right? 
how many Sonoses are getting sold on eBay a day? Maybe there's only two or three sold a week. Mm. It's a very thinly traded yeah. um, speaker mm-hmm. on eBay. So maybe because I've seen some for sell for sale at six hundred, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to struggle. I'm struggling to sell mine at four fifty. Mm-hmm. The thinly traded market means there's a big gap between the buy price and the sell price, or yep. the bid and the offer. Yeah. Right. So you go on the stock market and and find some company you've never heard of. You'll you'll probably see that the bid and the offer price is um a significant percentage away from each other. So BHP, like let's say that's trading at forty four dollars, the bid bid might be forty four dollars and one cent. Mm. Um, or the offer, the offer for sale might be $44.01 and the bid might be $39.99. It's two cents difference, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's nothing. But if you go to a thinly traded stock, the, the stock might be trading for 40 cents, right? And someone's offering them for sale for 50 cents mm. and someone's bidding to buy them at 30 cents. As a percentage, that's like you know forty yeah. percent um, gap. So the the higher the volume, the more traded the stock is, the the better the price discovery, right? Mm-hmm. So it occurred to me that I'm an absolute dumbass because um, I didn't look at the market on eBay properly for yeah. these speakers, and uh, uh, you know had had I had a a share traders had on, I would have been like, well, this is a really thinly traded market with no real price three. Mm. So just because I bought it for 470, thinking I could sell it easily for that price on eBay again. Mm. No, because it's a very thin market. Yeah. And, and and just like shares, um, it's a lot easier to buy shares in a thinly traded market yep. than it is to sell them at a price you're happy with. So if you had a time machine, is is there a way that you like um you know or in retrospect, is there a way that you think you could have sussed this out before it happened to you? Yeah, probably. I mean, I probably, you know, could have observed um, eBay more and maybe it even says how many watches and views there are on yes. um, on an eBay item. Um, but yeah, just it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, it's, 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 it's tempting to bring real life experiences back to the markets and, you know, have some Mr. Miyagi lessons for yourself or whatever. Yeah. And, and one of the things is, yeah, it's, it's, it's easier to, to buy things than it is to sell them. Yeah. If you say I'll buy this, someone will sell it to you. Mm-hmm. If you if you if you're buying it at the seller's price, yep. there's a trade mm-hmm. in anything, right? Mm-hmm. But your sale price, might, no one might want to. You know, it might be the case no one wants to pay mm-hmm. your sale price. So yeah. getting in and out of stocks, entries and exits, yeah. it's easy to enter a stock buying at market price. Yes. Yeah. If you if you then try to sell that stock, mm-hmm. you might not get the price you paid for it mm-hmm. because there's no volume, there's no demand. So yeah. as a buyer, mm-hmm. um, it's very easy to come across a company and get a massive rush of blood. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is brilliant. I want to buy it. I want to buy it now, 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 now. Mm-hmm. And you, you pay at market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then an hour later, 10 hours later, 10 days later, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have bought that stock. Yeah. Um, I want to sell it now. But if it's a thinly traded stock... Might, might, might be harder to get out of than, than you think. So, so it's like uh, like physically hard to get rid of it, sort of thing. Well, in reality, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, I want to sell this stock, but the 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 demand is low, mm-hmm. and the price they're offering is way lower than I want to sell it at. Yeah. I'm taking a big hit on, mm-hmm. on selling this. Like, I'm taking a 17 percent hit on selling my Sonos speakers in a week, right? Yes. Imagine taking a 17 percent hit on selling stocks in a week. Yeah. Just because of a thin market. Yes. But that happens all the time. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, for, for people out there looking at entering, entering and exiting stocks, mm-hmm. look at the actual volume of, of shares traded today mm-hmm. versus as market cap. So mm-hmm. if it's a market cap of $100 million and $10,000 worth of shares are traded a day, yeah. that's, that's a really low turnover. That's like ages until all the stocks change hands. Mm-hmm. Um, BHP, maybe they got like 2 or 3% of their shares traded a day, which means every 100 days. Oh, sorry, yeah. every 30 days. So it's like a complete turnover. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that, so that's, yeah, yeah. The Sonos thing just made me think about various um, parallels in, in, the, in the stock market. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, you, you buy um, thinly traded things, it's hard to get in and out. And, and, and small markets are harder. Yep. Um, and, and who wins in the small market? The patient person. Mm-hmm. Not the person jumping in. Oh, I want these Sonos speakers now. Buy. Yeah. I hate these Sonos speakers. Sell. It's I'm the, I'm the biggest clown. In, you know, as as <laughs> lucky I don't do that in the stock market. Um, you know, I'm losing you know three hundred dollars on the Sonos speakers maybe. But yeah. what if I do that with fifty thousand dollars in the stock market? So seventy percent. I get smashed. That's eight grand. Eight and a half grand. So is this <laughs> is this something you experienced early on with with investing? Yeah. Yeah, in, 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 in um, you know, me trying to buy my, um, you know, value investing or whatever, um, you, you, often it's stocks that are overlooked mm. and often overlooked stocks are thinly traded stocks. Yes. And I get really excited. Oh, you know, I've done my research. This is great. Mm. Um, I'm really bad at timing the market. I'll just buy it now. Mm. Um, you know, the market price is this, you know, I'll, I'll buy it market price. Mm. Um, and then... Yeah, I might, I might decide later, oh, shouldn't have bought a market price. Or actually, if I'm using a platform like Consec, mm. Com, Comsec, um, I buy at market, right? Um, and what, what that does is, I think on Com, Comsec and, and other trading platforms, I buy 10,000 shares at market and there's 1,000 shares for sale at 60 cents, 1,000 shares for sale at 61 cents, 1,000 at 62 and so on and so on. But I buy at market. I'm wiping that line at sixty cents for a thousand. Then I'm buying at sixty-one cents. Then I'm buying at sixty-two cents. All the way up to seventy cents. Mm. So I'm looking at the share price at sixty cents. I bought it at market. It's thinly traded. I end up paying seventy cents a share for the final shares, and my average price is sixty-five. So yeah, wow. the price just jumps because I'm wiping all these lines. Mm. What's worse is imagine while I say I'm buying a market, someone else does massive line wipes and I'm all of a sudden buying a market and the market price is 75 cents. I've massively overpaid. And on top of that, I can see it happening while the trades are going through. So I, I um, go to cancel the trade. You can't cancel trades at market. And that happened to me in my early yeah. days. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, you hear an announcement happens at 9.50 and, and you get super excited <clears throat> so you buy the share at market and lines just get wiped and you end up paying 20 or 30% more. Mm. Not, not that much more, but you end up paying, um, you know, a significant percentage more than you want to pay than your target price. So, um, yeah, if, if someone's buying on the stock market at limit, I'm willing to pay up to 60 cents a share and no more. Mm-hmm. At market, you might end up paying 70 cents because um, you said I'll pay at any price. Yeah, okay. And selling at market, same thing. Um. All of a sudden, you might, you know, you value it at 60 cents, but the market's saying 40. There's a couple for sale. Oh, there's a couple of buyers at 60 cents. Mm-hmm. So you're like, all right, I sell at market. You wipe mm-hmm. that line at 60 cents, the next line's at 40 cents. You said you want to sell at market. Yeah. Uh, so they'll sell at market. Can't cancel the order. Yeah. Um, some of the brokerage platforms, well, I think, I think it's more common these days. Um, they actually, uh, sus- not suspend, they slow down the trades. So you can't just have this massive price drop. Yes. Because they want an orderly market. Yeah, okay. But it's still challenging to get out at market. So um, 
Yeah, it's um, if if you if you if you're buying and selling shares, unless you're desperate to get out, set a limit. I'm willing to sell at this price. I'm willing to buy at this price. Yeah. But but that market on thinly traded things, you can you can you can hurt yourself financially. Mm. It's a lesson I learned in my first um probably few months. Don't buy a market. Yeah. Okay. It's an expensive lesson to learn. Yeah. Um, so how long do you reckon it took you to um to achieve basic competence oh yeah um like was there a point where you're like ah i get it well well i i, I was a gold bug initially but once i got into value investing mm-hmm. i got it yeah in terms of gold bug just like buy gold because it's gonna yeah, go buy up. gold buy gold stocks whatever you mm-hmm. know the sky's falling um gold's the best thing to have when the sky's falling yeah. this is you know what i told myself ages ago um during and the this is like physical or etfs or something yeah yeah physical gold mines whatever mm-hmm. um you know anything that's shiny um mm-hmm. buy 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 um, this was post-GFC. It was a really good time to be a gold bug. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, there's economic theories that, you know, money has to be real. The only real money is gold. Fractional reserve banking is the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, you know, everything's going to crash. The only thing going to be worth anything is gold. So, um, you know, I, I, um, that, that proved to be completely untrue, yep. you know, 14 years on. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, I, I did well out of that as an mm-hmm. introduction. But then um, I found myself not sleeping very much because I was just constantly looking at the gold price. I wake up and then go to the toilet. Oh, what's a gold price? And, and you know, yeah. looking at bright lights when, you know, it's two in the morning, doesn't help you go back to sleep. Yes. So um, I, I'd obsess over the gold price and I thought that's to be a better way. Yeah. And, and that's what I got into value investing. Yeah. So value investing made sense logically. What was the gold price uh, back then? Oh, I can't remember. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Like Maybe it was like 1100 Australian ounce. Oh, I, I don't know. Um, mm. I can't remember, but um, yeah, uh, the so I got into value investing, which theoretically made sense. Um, but it, it's 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 often a challenge um, balancing the theory of value investing with greed and fear mm. and and impatience, like with the Sonos speakers, that's mm-hmm. impatience. Um, and the greed greed being, you know, you do your research and you think this company is really undervalued, so you want to buy heaps of it. And then the price is dropping and people are saying bad things about the company. Then you're afraid you're going to lose all your money. So you end up selling it. Mm. And maybe a lot of it's just noise. Um, but depending, depending on how greedy and fearful you are, that will affect you, you know, your, um, your buying and selling. And it's, 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 I think that's actually the biggest challenge as an investor once you've um, learned how to do your research and, and read financial statements and stuff is managing the greed and fear. Yep. And, and, and um, you know that Rudyard Kipling song, If... That's my favorite poem in on earth. Oh, there you go. <laughs> he's, he's he's crying right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm actually yeah. I'm actually like I literally uh, I'm I'm uh, getting a, a picture of that framed up. Like I made a, P, a PDF and sending it uh, like you know this online framing place. Anyways, there you go. Fantastic so, poem. If you, if you haven't read it, do it. Yeah, it is a very good poem. Um, and and um, Andre, Andre's heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, sorry, everyone. Yeah, but that's if you can keep your head, you yeah. know, that thing when all about you are losing this. Yeah, that's that's the markets a lot of the time, isn't it? Yeah, you know, the, the markets are crashing or whatever. Mm. Um, and, and everyone's selling, and it's like I've done my research, mm. I can keep my head. Yeah, but you know, maybe you can't do it all the time. Mm. Maybe for some stocks, you can keep your head, but not other ones. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and sometimes the market's right and you're wrong, yeah, as well. Um, so, so that's when you got to uh, was it pick up your uh, your broken tools and keep going. 
Yeah, it's, it's like some, some British politician uh, was in parliament or something and someone said, oh, so you've just changed your mind completely on this. Mm. And the person said, yes, sir, what do you do when you find more information? <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> That's a good one. So, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe you get more information and it turns out the, the, the price was dropping because the market was right and you missed something. Mm. You, can't, you can't know everything. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, the greed and fear is really hard to manage, I think. Yeah. That's that's the biggest challenge. Once you've got the theories right and you can read financial statements and you can research, how, how do you manage your greed and fear? Mm. One is don't have leverage, obviously, yeah. um, and, and and diversification and yeah, and, and by leverage like borrowing, borrowing, money yeah, to um, you know, having having rules um, about how much of a percentage of your portfolio you're going to invest in a particular asset or asset class. Mm. Um, do Do you have any rough guidelines for that? Or I don't. No, I mm. should. This yeah. is one of my flaws. I should yeah. make rules, but I don't. Yeah. Um, and, and it's problematic because I've been financially rewarded for deviating from what people should do. Like, yeah. let's say you're not supposed to have more than 10% in a, a stock. I've, mm-hmm. I've put 30% in stocks and been really well rewarded for that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's tough. Yeah. It's, 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 it's maybe it's a bad thing to do. Other people say it's, it's fine if you've done your research. Mm. Like, theoretically, if you've, if you've picked the best stock in the world, you should have all your money in it. Yeah. Except you don't know what outliers are. Yeah. Um, you know, diversification is diversification. Yeah. You don't need a hundred stocks. That just proves you haven't done your research properly on twenty. Yeah. So there's a lot of theories that say like yeah. twelve stocks in your portfolio. I was talking to my mate about enough. this uh, that that um how Buffett and Munger don't like diversification, but they're like Berkshire Hathaway owns heaps of businesses. Yeah, yeah. Across as like a, heaps of sectors. <laughs> as a percentage of his portfolio though, I guess there's like, you know, like you know, some little furniture shop mm. in one state is probably like a drop in the ocean of its portfolio now it might mm. have been a lot bigger back you know in the early days when they bought it at nebraska furniture mart mm. whatever it was um yeah so uh, ha- having rules in place um writing down why you've bought something mm. writing why why you've bought something down before you buy it might stop you from buying it mm. as well um that's something i should do yeah um ag- again i think in a rising market over the last decade uh, and, and, and initially working quite hard and then getting rewarded and then being a bit lazy and still getting rewarded. Yeah. It's, um, it made me a bit lazy. Yeah. And, and I have to stop, stop doing that mm. and being lazy. Do you, do you buy with your, uh, uh, with your morals, I guess? Like, do you, do you, like, he's like, oh, I believe in this, I believe in this cause or this company and you yeah, look, look for stuff like that or are you more like, oh, this looks like it's making good money? British American tobacco, I'd love to buy that, but I don't want to make money off people smoking cigarettes. Yes. So I mean yeah. that's 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 um that's stopping me from buying with my morals. Yeah. I'm not I'm not buying um, you know, I don't ever got Tesla, but let's just for the sake of it, mm. I'm not I'm not buying Tesla. Yeah. Because I think I'm gonna change the world by buying Tesla. Yeah. Oh, make the world a better place by Tesla. I'm not I'm not buying into that. You're in the mm. markets to make money. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there are some things I don't want to make money off. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I, I, if if people are buying to support businesses that could change the world, mm-hmm. um, fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to see a business case for the yeah. for the purchase of the business. I'm looking for the value. Yeah. In, in a in a lesser sense, it's that's something that I see a little bit in um, in I guess. Uh, hospitality business and 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 for a workplace that I was in, where the yeah, like the I guess the ethics and the morals were the priority, but they don't actually bring in the bring in 
then it doesn't make business sense. So uh, a chocolate shop I used to work for was aligned with um, like organics and fair trade and things like that, which take a huge chunk of profit. And I don't think they add an equal or more amount of revenue through like more sales or anything like that. Mm, mm. And then... Um, it's an interesting thing too, because let, let's say this chocolate shop wasn't a mom and dad business. Mm. Let's say it was um, a business on the stock market. Mm. The people running it have a responsibility to make money for their shareholders, mm. not push their own political agenda yep. and use the company as a vehicle for that. Yes. So there's a real tension there. Um, yeah. A, a, a lot of, um, I mean, not a lot. There's, it could be argued that a bunch of um, the ESG stuff, you know, ESG, environmental and social governance or whatever, mm. so, some of that, shareholders might say, hang on a minute, you're here to make money for us. You're not here to make the world a better place. Mm. Uh, and the, the business leaders might say, well, uh, we will get a sh- better share price if we, if we also make the world a better place. But also, uh, also the, but they, they could be advertising that like, you know, you can have a compromise of both, right? Well, the idea is that... Because I noticed there's like super superannuation companies, a lot of ads like in, uh, that are, sell themselves like that. You know, grow your your retirement or whatever, but you're investing in green energy or you know sustainable uh, investments and things like that. And uh, so, I guess people would be like assuming that that would be the case, right? It doesn't. It's not necessarily about just making the maximum profit. Well, yeah. Except, I mean, maybe really long term, it's like you're you're a business that's massive in the world, right? Mm. Huge. And you you don't really directly operate in any of this environmental yep. space or you know any any great political space, mm-hmm. but you've decided that if there's a nuclear holocaust and the oceans rise you know fifty meters, mm. you're not going to sell as many of your units as you otherwise would. So mm. maybe for just like completely cold hard reality and cynicism, it's like, well, I'm going to try to make the world go a certain direction because it guarantees the sale of our units better than the world going a different direction. Yep. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of a lot of coastal cities and businesses that are on the coast and factories on the coast, if they're underwater they're, they're, that's a business expense. Yeah. So I mean maybe maybe a lot of it's just um, you know, very, very cold decisions under mm. the guise of warm, fuzzy, let's look like we're great people. Yeah. Stuff. I don't know. Mm. That's not bad necessarily if that's the case. Again, yeah. their, their job is to make money for shareholders. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, back back to um, my my Sonos thing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I talked about selling on volume. Um. And then like it occurred to me as well. Um. The 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 Sonos One speakers, the play play five Gen ones. Mm. Sonos kind of made them obsolete, right? Yes. And it's like, well, how many businesses are there that seem good but might be obsolete? Mm. And I mean, a really simple, I mean, this isn't obsolete, but it gives it a finite life, a mine, right? You've got a mine. Now it's making a ton of money at the moment. Mm. You know, maybe it's doing iron ore or whatever and it's it's making a fortune and it's trading at eight times earnings, mm. right? But the mine's going to be empty in six years. Mm. It's like you can never, that business can never pay for itself yeah. in that sense. Mm. Um, the the earning stream is finite in that. Yeah. And And tech companies as well. Um, Xerox. Mm. What's what's a Fuji? Oh, with the with camera film and stuff. Yeah, like all that. that sort of stuff. Mm. Like, I was actually uh, listening to a, a case of this. Someone 
analyzing, doing a superficial analysis on Netflix um, in terms of their recent volatility, but they were talking about uh, the transition from Blockbuster and, and how they, they, do, they were this huge thing. And event, uh, apparently uh, Netflix was going so bad in the beginning, they were like a mail-order DVD business and the, they were tanking so hard that they tried to sell themselves to Blockbuster and Blockbuster like, no, this business is terrible get out of here and um but then it wasn't too short after that that they went bust apparently um the the guys who started google tried to sell the algorithm to yahoo and they really <laughs> 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 being the guys at yahoo said no to that <laughs> it's like what do you do for work it's like i work at yahoo i said no to google's algorithm <laughs> yeah yeah. Boy, yeah i know that so has to be, like, to be some dude <laughs> yeah unless i'm missing something that's the that, worst decision ever with but, that bloody tickling neck from embarrassment yeah but um, yeah, so, you, you know, these speakers um, have obsolescence built into them, mm. um, I guess, or not built into them, but just exists because technology improves, this deflation yeah. of, of, of technology that you're talking about before, the, yeah. you know, the corona so getting better. So, like, obviously, you feel it's like a designed obsolescence to no, keep... No, not necessarily. Things yeah. just improve. But the point is, right, you're, you're a tech business. Mm. Um, you, you, have you heard of the Red Queen hypothesis? No. I think it's an Alice in Wonderland. The the you got to run to stay in the same spot, yeah. Because everything else is moving forwards as well. Yep. And that's the thing in uh, I think genetics. Um, you have to constantly evolve, otherwise you're going backwards. Yes. So any tech company's part of this red queen conundrum. Mm. And, and and Xerox went obsolete. Um, I think well, it might be obsolete, but yeah, probably. Um, Fuji, yeah. whatever, or Kodak. Yeah. All these companies that were once you know IBM. Whatever, yeah. like a lot of these are against the past. Yes. So you're buying a business, uh, and and it's in in a technology space, which pretty much everything is. Mm. You've got to factor the obsolescence that's a, a part of that business mm -hmm. in, into the life of the business. And if if the system's working, the business that's got the technological lead now shouldn't necessarily keep it forever. Yeah. In the same way that kings shouldn't pass down the kingdom to to their children. Yeah. Uh, eventually, one of the children will be some incompetent inbred, anyway. But mm. the, so you know, in a, in a marketplace, the ideas win, not the not the the, um, the incumbents. Yeah, yeah. So in theory, in a functioning system, a lot of dominant players in any tech space have to get replaced by yeah. by new agile ideas at some point. Yeah. So if someone's paying thirty times earnings or a hundred times earnings for a mm. business, it's like, are they actually going to be the leader in thirty years or hundred yeah. years or ten years even? So do, yeah. Do you, do you see that that kind of thing playing out with Tesla at all? Yeah, probably. Uh. And Facebook. Yes. You know? Um. Apparently, only old people use Facebook these days. Mm. So I mean, that's that. Uh, someone told you ten years ago that Facebook's going to be some lame thing that only old people use. You'd say, yeah. What? But I've heard that that's the case. I don't use Facebook. Um. Because I'm cool. No, <laughs> I don't use anything because I'm I'm not very techie. But um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently. Yeah. Only. Facebook's for my, you know, boomer parents. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know what else they use, TikTok or, TikTok or yeah, Instagram. Yeah, I had or... someone showing me TikTok and Snapchat and hell, like it's, it, it's so, uh, um, I don't know, it's like pellet feeding a duck or something, you know? It's just yeah, like right. these short little like bits of information, you know, these, I don't know, really short videos. And, and uh, like I observe uh, young people, watching this stuff and there's, there's literally like just like completely plugged in and occupied with this stuff. so so there um uh, i think it was in um poor charlie's almanac 
But if not, it was from somewhere. Um, looking at un, unchangeable human factors that mm. might affect an investment, right? Mm. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of Pavlov's dog. The bell. And, and, and classical conditioning. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, Pavlov had this dog and he, he'd go to open the dog food or get the dog food or whatever mm. and, and notice the dog was, you know, as he walks to the cupboard, the dog's excited or whatever and, yeah. and, and salivates. And then, you know, he, he started being a psychologist, I guess, and doing experiments and he'd ring the bell, then go to the cupboard. Yeah. And, and the dog started to get conditioned to the bell ringing being part of the food's coming process. Yeah. And eventually, through, through this practice, Pavlov was able to just to ring the bell and get the dog to salivate. Yeah. The dog was conditioned to respond to the antecedent mm. of, of the food. So that, that's um, classical conditioning. Mm. Right? And then there's this other guy, B.F. Skinner, operant conditioning. Mm-hmm. And, and he found that if instead of with Pavlov's dog where, where the reward's predictable, you randomize the reward, you actually get more addictive behavior. So pokey machines yeah, okay. are operant Because I think that's kind of either TikTok or Snap, TikTok, TikTok or Snapchat is like that. It's just like this feed where you're just like constantly scrolling like just videos that are just out there and they're just like just randomized short content. Yeah, so so a business that, that capitalizes on something that seems to be pretty innate to the human brain mm. or, or the human body, like taste buds, for example, yeah, uh, they, they, they have good potential for success. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a factor in, in analyzing the business mm. if, if you're looking at it that, level, mm. you know, that, that high level and the stickiness of the business, mm. the, the human psychology and, and evolution <laughs> being a, a sticky factor. Mm. Um, but yeah, anyway, just with the with the the Sonos thing, it's it just made me think again of the markets. Um, one one because my trading, like my, my trading of Sonos, paralleled mm. trading on a thin market. Yeah. And then I thought, well, how else does Sonos and, and my experience relate to the markets? I'll mm. talk about it, you know, yeah. uh, 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 this afternoon. Um, and yeah, the the obsolescence and quality as well, right? So mm. the Sonos Play Five Gen Twos were heaps better mm. music than the Play Five Gen Ones. Yes. So they were really good speakers. Mm. Until I heard he's better speakers. Yeah, okay. So my my world, my world of research for speakers was very limited. Mm. Basically, Sonos yep. speakers. Yep, yep. Um, I didn't research the field very well. And and once I did, I realized that what I thought was a high-quality company mm. um, for speakers isn't high-quality for speakers. Yep. It's, 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 it's just sound, but it's not hi-fi at all. Yep. And so, so let's say... Um, I'm investing in a in a company. Um, let's, let's say it's a gold detector company, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I told you I have shares in an Australian mm-hmm. company that does gold detectors. Um, it, let's just say it's the best gold detector in Australia. Mm. And I'm like, oh, it's the best, great. If I don't expand my universe for this product to the whole world, mm. then yeah, it might be the best in Australia, but it might be the 400th best on the planet. Yep. So when you're researching different businesses uh, i guess you have to really look at what their competition is to work out how good they are yeah and how good their product is yeah you know, how good their business model is mm. um we're, we're in australia so we're going to be inclined to research australian businesses mm-hmm. but some of those businesses are global which yeah. means we have to compare them with their global peers yeah otherwise we're not we're not doing our research yeah properly and we're not making a proper comparison yeah and, and not making a, a proper assessment of the price of, of this business and the value of this yeah. business um, and then the, 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 so I was thinking about that and then I thought, well, there's also a real problem with my whole thinking process and that is that um, the stock market's the stock market and 
me buying some of speakers and selling them on Facebook and Gumtree and, and um, eBay is, is me buying some of speakers and selling them on these various marketplaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're different things. Yeah. Maybe it's a, a completely idiotic thing to try and take one pattern in life and overlay it on a different pattern in life. So that's I was actually it. I was actually thinking to ask you is like do you do you approach most things in life like this in terms of uh, like your investment approach as you got better and more proficient at it? Do you find you use that for like other things? I, I do find analogies like um you know trees and 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 the compounding right like yep. trees growing at thirty percent a year or whatever. Mm. Um, or 10% a year, and then you know you start off with an acorn, it's a giant oak tree eventually. Yep. That's, that's a good metaphor or analogy mm. or something like that. Mm. Um, the, the root system of a tree, mm. um, you know, anchoring it in and, and making it more robust or whatever, mm. and um, the, 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 the networks and the stickiness of a business. Yep. You, you can find all these analogies, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a perilous proposition potentially because yeah. you start to turn like the stock market's one thing and, and, and this other sort of stuff's another thing. If I start turning it into the Sonos thing, I'm boxing the stock market in and I'm, I'm yeah. giving it a framework that doesn't reflect what it is itself. It's a different thing. Yes. So, so the analogies are all good and well, mm. but you might end up oversimplifying a very complex thing yep. and then misunderstanding the complex thing because you've given yourself these simplified analogies. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So did you find you, you, um, your assumptions shift a lot in terms of like how you view things what uh, do you mean um uh i guess like like what you're talking about there how you like sort of boxing things in do you find yourself doing that much i i i, I did philosophy at uni yeah. so we're you know we're disinclined to make absolute claims about anything yeah, um, yeah so there's there's that and uh i i'm also cynical of everything including myself yes so, so <laughs> okay so that that's something that the the i guess manages some of that risk so uh, i assume nothing well, yeah, it's it's it's. I, I might see a, a pattern in in one part of life and the world, and then see that kind of echo mm. in the stock market. Yeah. But I'm not going to call the stock market that pattern. Sure. But it might be a little good um way of remembering something. Yeah. Um, okay. In, you know, maybe maybe next time I'm looking at a, a a stock, I might think, well, don't just buy it right now. It'll still be for sale tomorrow mm-hmm. and the next day and the next day, mm-hmm. um, just like the son of speakers would have been for sale. Yep. Get a better idea of the market. You can observe the market for a while. If it's a good business today, it'll be a good mm-hmm. business tomorrow or whatever. Um, and, and maybe you'll get it at a price you want. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're patient, you don't have to pay as much. Yeah. And, and if you're selling and you're patient, you don't have to sell for such a low price. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the it's pay- funny. The, 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 the uh, approach you described there reminds me a lot of Tim. Uh, uh, my my big brother. Um, it just with everything when we were growing up, he was always just so patient with stuff. And uh, so in terms of you know even walking around time zone, which was like a video game parlor, he was always really patient, sort of watching what games were good, basically good value in terms of you know what what was fun to play and what you could do for a long time. And so, you know, I'd, I'd do my money really quickly. I'd just play any game, ah, you know. <laughs> and, you know, 10 minutes has gone and I've sunk 20 bucks. And, you know, an hour has gone past. Tim's still got most of his money. And then same, like, you know, with you watch him with the products that he buys. It takes him forever to choose a bike, but he gets one that's, like, amazing. And so, 
but yeah, and I just found that's sort of like his general approach there. I wonder if he's uh, if he invests like that too. Yeah, oh, maybe. It's, it's, yeah, so I mean, patience. Patience is, is is a thing, and and you can observe the value of patience in life, and and then you can apply that to the stock market. Mm. Uh, it's, it's generally better to be patient than impatient. And you know, that, that's <laughs> that um, thing with kids where there's a lolly in a room. Have you yeah. heard of this study about delayed gratification and life outcomes for children? Oh, not not specifically, no. So there was this thing where they um, took kids and they said, okay, you sit in this room, um, there's a lolly on the table mm. or whatever. Um, you can have it, but if you wait for us to come back, you can have two lollies. Yep. And, and the kids that waited delayed their gratification for the two lollies. Mm. Apparently on long term, they, they revisited the kids years later yep. and, and, and saw that they had better life outcomes. Yeah. Uh, I guess life outcomes would be like employment and, yeah. and that sort of stuff and income. I would have been the one lolly kid for sure. Yeah, it was interesting because um, I said to um, I was like, you know, I said, how long are they waiting though? Like, if you're waiting an hour, right, to mm. get that second lolly, mm. you might just be like, I don't want to wait around for an hour. It's not worth an <laughs> hour of my time. One yeah. like extra lolly. I'm just gonna eat this lolly now and get out of the room. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, but I don't know how long they actually had to wait. But I was like, there might have been a whole bunch of other factors that made the um, kids eat the lolly first. But it probably was just inability to delay gratification. Ultimately, yeah. I don't know if these kids were old enough to think through how long they have to sit in the room because of a lolly and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But yeah, um, yeah it's um, <clears throat> the, the the stock market's there. It's not going away. Mm. So there's there's really no need to rush into a stock. You know, if you if you're getting a rush of bubble you buy a stock, maybe that's not the best thing. Maybe it wants to seem like the most boring and inevitable thing in the world because of all the processes you had leading up to that. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. it's the emotional side. The yeah. dopamines. Yeah. And, and 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 the opposite of dopamines when, you know, you make mistakes and sell, that's that's all stuff that has to be managed. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Or it uh how are you for time, man? I'm good. We can keep on talking. But... Dude, I'd love to keep talking oh, yeah. if, if you're okay. Yeah, you got my stuff to do, yeah. Sorry? You got more questions? Oh, not really, man. I'm just enjoying sort of listening to you <laughs> and sort of bouncing off you. Uh, I think I, I feel you've got much more to offer than I do. So. Okay, well, I'll just rant some more. Um, so, copper went up 5% overnight mm-hmm. um, recently. Yep. Uh, the date today is, uh, what is it? 6th of, 5th of June, Sunday, 5th of June. So, some sometime couple of days prior to today mm. went up five percent yep and and uh, the australian dollar strengthened against the us dollar and various yep. i think commodity producing yeah have you identified any factors that like uh, that contribute to the no nah. yeah no <laughs> just going up sweet <laughs> i mean it's good for me because like you know i got a ton of money in a copper mine yep and, and, and the share price goes up mm-hmm. but I, I don't know why uh, yep. i saw an article in in the newspaper and and it was saying that um well, actually, this is interesting. It's 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 correlation does not equal causation, and in this mm-hmm. case, definitely not. But interestingly, there was an article in the newspaper prior to the copper price going up five percent, and it was in a local Australian newspaper, so it definitely did not make the global copper price move five percent. But <clears throat> it was interesting because the article was talking about um, some analyst from some you know fancy bank or whatever saying that copper prices might go up ten times in the next. 10 years or something. Yeah. Um, and and this was a news article and I thought that's interesting. Um, I don't think it's going to go up 10 times at all. Um, Is this tied in with the, the need for it in technology and stuff like that? Or Yeah, yeah. So my, my thesis was that the, we're, we're moving away from being completely reliant on a hydrocarbons and, and polluting energy and, and, and want to go into less polluting energy. Uh, the windmills are polluting 
right? Um, solar panels are polluting. You have to you have to extract those things. You're causing some environmental damage with yes. all these things. Windmills apparently kill birds, like crazy amount of bird deaths from from birds going through windmills. Apparently, it's like a secret no one talks about. It yeah, in there's the a really good um, there's a really good YouTube video. I don't know if you heard of the dude Michael Schillenberger. No, but he, he's got a lecture all about that sort of stuff. The not not so green energy. Or something. But yeah, and, and the life cycle analysis. I mean, like how how much energy is used to produce a solar panel. Yes. And, and, and does it ever pay itself off in yeah. terms of energy? And yeah. it's like, okay, what if uh, – it probably does now. I hope it does. But like what if you're actually just outsourcing the pollution to some third world country that's doing the mining? So the solar panel is clean when it's made in Australia, but all the inputs that got it to Australia, all the raw materials and all that sort of mm. stuff were, were terrible for you. Yeah, I watched a, a Deutsche Welle uh, documentary that was exactly that. They, uh, in particular, graphite. Uh, graphite and copper. So the idea that copper is being pulled out of the ground uh, in this huge mine in Chile uh, that's powered by a coal-fired power station um, and then graphite in China where it's like there's no environmental regulation so they're just ripping this stuff out of the ground, dumping the dirty water and dirty soil just off the side of a hill and it's killed all the agriculture around it. The people that do it look like they're made out of lead pencil, like they're just... And, you know, they obviously they get all sick and things like that. But then, you know, obviously, like you're saying, on the other side of the world, someone's got a nice clean Tesla rolling down the road. Mm. Well, I mean, I I remember hearing a a thing 15 years ago that uh, America and the West didn't export their manufacturing to, to China. They exported their pollution to China. Yep. So China does all this, you know, this is what they say 15 years ago, all low end junk. Yep. That was marginal to begin with in the Western world anyway, mm. but highly polluting. Yes. And it's like, yeah, make that if you want China, we'll um we'll continue to have good things and, yeah. and you, you just destroy your your area, you know, mm. your environment with this junk. Yeah. Effectively. I mean China's high end now, from what I've heard. Yeah. Um, so there's that. But yeah, we, we with the copper thing, um in, in, in Chile, I think they're they're pumping water. Because the water's used in the extraction, I don't know how, but it is. And apparently, they're pumping water from the sea, like up, up, up hills, like really, really high up. Mm. So there's a lot of energy just to pump the water up. And then I think they might have to desalinate it or something as well. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, there's a bunch of energy inputs into this. Um, mm. Robert Friedland, I think, of Ivanhoe Mines, there's mm. a mine in West Africa. He, he was talking about this in a lecture mm. and saying that they're going to put. Um, Commodities aren't just going to be commodities that are completely interchangeable. One pound of copper isn't just one pound of copper. There's actually going to be a, a tracking system to show where the copper came from. Mm. And if it came from a mine like his mine, yeah. a crazy coincidence that's hydropowered, yeah. that copper is going to be worth more than, than copper that yeah. came from a mine yeah. in Chile that used coal and, and, and had to pump you know, water from the ocean or, or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's going to be dirty copper. Uh, apparently yeah okay that's <clears throat> I, I think we've we, i feel like we've had this discussion uh be, before but um I've, I've observed that like it's uh, a similar thing in terms of um in cookery and, and like food ingredients in general where it used to be it went from being like who's got the best stuff and the most like high quality stuff to it's like yeah where'd it come from and that's becoming more of the currency you know how far away was it from you what did they use to make it and things like that whereas you know, it used to be, oh, you know, the best cheese or best uh, caviar or whatever did, didn't really matter where it came from. It just mattered that it was the best. But now it's, you know, um, yeah. 
as as a cynic, um, maybe maybe a bunch of this, you know, really really environmentally and, and socially conscious stuff mm. that that feeds into this is simply just some people in positions of power and decision making realizing it's better for local economies. The yes. the idea that the whole global economy is problematic. Yes. And and we can't just break trade agreements. Yes. And say we're not buying from here. Mm. So we put a, a moral and cultural imperative oh, yeah. on effectively yeah, okay. supporting local business that, that yeah. you can't you can't just do in a purely economic way. Yeah. Interestingly, as well, um, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, I think that's his name. Mm-hmm. He he wrote a book called Fooled by Randomness. He was really popular after the um, GFC, yeah, because he, he's a mathematician who talks about outliers, yep, and and and, and unexpected things, which is why you can't put a hundred percent of your money in one stock mm-hmm. because of outliers. Mm-hmm. Um, he was saying if the human body was a, a business, you'd have one lung, you'd be outsourcing both of your kidneys. And, and yada, yada, yada. Mm. And, and the idea is that evolution has what is effectively wasted capacity for robustness or for resilience, for yeah. adaptability. Mm. The, the global supply chains have shown their fragility. He's got another book called Anti-Fragile. It's yeah. a thicker book. I haven't read it. It's on my bookcase. But the, the global supply chains have, thrown, have, have shown the fragility of reliance on these hyper-efficient supply chains. Yeah. So, again, there's that imperative to, to regionalize uh, these supply chains. And then the political thing, because if, um, if, if, if you're reliant on country A for a whole bunch of your economic inputs and then you have a political dispute with country A, country A can just cut you off from those things you need for your economy. Mm. So, so the, the resilience that might be required for the future is, is a lot more really regionalized stuff and a lot more surplus capacity. You might get away with one kidney, but two's better. Mm. So yeah, we might end up with a lot of surplus capacity, and and to build all that surplus capacity, uh, you probably need a bunch of copper and other things. Yeah. So uh, there's not it's not just the um electric cars for copper mm-hmm. that made me buy copper. It's it's that idea that there's going to be um well one the world will become more developed I think by and large. Yeah. And and even if there is destruction, there'll be creation. And, and and any advancement requires electricity. Yeah. So India, you know, surely they're gonna have big copper demand and then mm. if 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 they lift themselves up, maybe countries around them lift themselves up and, mm-hmm. and more and more copper demand. So yep. I, I just like energy, the, the we're we're burning as much cow dung as we were hundreds of years ago, but so the distribution's different. So yeah, distribution is different too. But we're just adding energy inputs on top of that. So you know, we'll probably use as much oil now as you know. We're probably at, at you know flatline oil usage, or, mm-hmm. or maybe close to. Maybe it drops a bit. Um, same for coal and all that sort of stuff. Um, maybe that drops a bit again. But maybe just hydrocarbons. We're just flatline hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm. But we add more energy to the system in the form yep. of renewables and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever the case is, it's all. If it's turned into electricity, it's going to rely on copper. Mm-hmm. And and the argument in this. Um, I don't know. Well, some Australian newspaper article was that the the investment into copper hasn't really occurred, and it takes years and years to get a mine up and going, especially with all the government regulations. Mm-hmm. So, by the time there's a big demand for copper, there just won't be the supply there. And and this article, um, it's 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 saying stuff that I was reading ages ago before I bought into copper. It doesn't mean it's right, but yep. it seems to be the case from what I've read. You know, I'll, I'll take my research and 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 back that. I have through mm. buying into copper. 
But but when that article came out, I thought, I wonder if that's um, going to lead to a, a rush of people buying copper stocks on the stock market. Mm. Um, and then a couple of days later, copper goes up five yeah. percent, and you know my my shares. Go Did off. you hear about um, you know that new park by the lake, uh, the the exercise park as you go over Commonwealth Bridge. Oh yeah. So we're in Canberra, everyone. Uh, yeah. I've, I've seen the exercise park. Yeah. yeah. So if you saw the furniture there, there like the benches and the bins. Yeah. They had copper trim on them, and someone stole all of it huh. for like I don't know, like a scrap or something. But like it was like the. So it's like a tall bin, uh, so, yeah, right. so probably you know a meter and a half tall. Uh, the handles on the on the on the side of the park bench, and then someone went through, and it was like th- I don't know, thousands and thousands of dollars worth. But yeah, maybe so. Yeah, um, I've heard things in America, like parts of railway track being stolen for scrap and stuff. Yeah, right. So that's that's insane if that's happening. Actually, I heard that too with uh, bicycle parts because of the supply chain thing. So um, people, if you see you got your bike parked somewhere because um, it's hard to get chains and cassettes and stuff, people will just steal components mm. from your bike if it looks in good shape and take your chain. There you go. So, I mean, that's a lot of economic loss and damage mm. around that. Maybe um, more social security means less theft and maybe that's cheaper. Mm. So if you, if, you, if you look at a country, Australia, for example, um, everyone's got locks on their doors, yeah. Right, and there's security <clears throat> companies exist, uh, police exist. Mm. If there was no crime, what percentage of GDP are we using to mitigate crime? Yep. Like I, I don't know what percentage it is, but like, you know, all the door locks, all the police, all these things. Mm. If, if there were, obviously there's going to be crime, mm. but if there was no crime, uh, we 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 we'd we'd be able to put that GDP towards other things. Yeah, for sure. Or I can't help but feel like crime or the potential of crime colors almost everything that you do. You know, it's a, it can dictate what sort of car you'll buy, what how you plan to build your house. Yeah, there's. Yeah. I, was, I was in Switzerland, um, Montreux, beautiful place. There's a Freddie Mercury statue there. I was and about to ask about that. That one was like on the lake, and he's like, Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. pointing in the air, everyone. So. Yeah, um, and, and on the lake, there's flower pots along a footpath. Yep. And I was walking along, and I'm, I'm Australian. There's part, part of my brain was like just kicking in the lake. Dude, that's the exact <laughs> that's the exact observation that I had when I was when I when I go to Switzerland. So, um, my sister lives there, and so I spent a few holidays, like two or three holidays there. And there's they do stuff that you just wouldn't get away with in Australia, like um. In, in this sort of medium density urban setting where there's like apartments and houses and stuff and there'll be like a spare block and they've just got like uh, like agri- like agriculture growing. So like uh, there was a field of corn or a field of sunflowers. It's like if that was in Canberra or in Australia, someone would have driven through that and done donuts. Like yeah, yeah. you just absolutely wouldn't get away with it. And and it just, but that sort of attitude reflects through, it's like pervasive through the whole society. Like the trains are super clean, the public toilets are super, I saw one dirty public toilet the whole time I was there, and I had to like, it was, you know. And that was that was after you left and not before you went in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was after some fondue or something. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So, so, yeah, the economic ripple effect. So, apparently, the, the West is wealthy, not because mm. we're, you know, more wonderful in, mm. in all these ways than the, 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 the non wealthy countries, is because we've had less disruption to our economic growth. Yes. Um, so growing at 3% a year or 2% a year as an economy 
and compounding that over you know 40 years mm. or whatever um and, and the human capital the knowledge right it's not just the mm. physical things it's the, it's the development of knowledge as yeah. well which is why when you have world war two and and world war one there's, there's a recovery because the knowledge is still there yes um but the, but that compounding and and, and lack of civil wars Mm. A lack of uh, uh, political systems that disincentivize productivity and all that sort of stuff is is why the the Western countries are are, are wealthy. It's a compounded wealth. Mm. And and I thought about the the crime stuff in Switzerland. It's like what even if it's like one percent of their GDP leg up for not having to deal with antisocial mm. and and vandal things. Mm. Compound that over a long period of time. That's a that's a competitive advantage for a country. Mm. Yeah. All things being equal, you're spending less resources on fixing stuff that doesn't need to be broken. Yeah, I reckon that's, so that's a leg up economically. To 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 continue on the Switzerland theme, there's just like that's I find that they yeah, they seem to have this really cool mix of like that um, cutting edge of capitalism but also big social support as well. So Leanne, um, my sister, uh, has had a bunch of shoulder surgeries and so- shoulder reconstructions and literally all covered through work and work insurance, like didn't have to outlay a cent sort of thing. And, and they sort of, and she was describing it saying that they, they take the view that it's more in their financial interest to have you recover well and be back as work at work as soon as possible with minimum disruption than it is to, to like not outlay it and have you sorted out yourself. Yeah, well, there you go. So that's a bit like the SG thing, isn't it? It looks yeah. really nice as an employer, but maybe it's just cold, hard dollars and cents. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Well, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm about done, Andre. Yeah, cool, man. Well, that was, that was a, that was, I really enjoyed that discussion. Thanks for your time today, sir. Yeah, not at all. I, I like coming. It's, yeah, so we'll be here um, next week as well, I guess. Yeah, sick one. All right. Andy and Andre signing out. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on. Was it Andy and Andre talk money stuff? Yeah. Not financial advice. We're just a bunch of guys who say things. Yes. It shouldn't be taken seriously. <laughs> <laughs>